Hey there, John here. We are so glad you're listening to the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you find something here you'll enjoy and that gives you a reason to come back. If you've been listening for a little while or a long while, as is the case with so many of you, I want to ask a favor. Would you consider introducing us to just one friend this week? There's really no better method of advertising than word of mouth. Pick a friend who shares your sense of humor or interests, even if they don't know what a podcast is, and tell them why our show has become a regular listening for you. And be bold. Help them get a podcast app on their phone and walk them through how to subscribe to the show. We love that you're here and would greatly appreciate your recommendation. Thanks for your time. Now, let's get on with the show. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Hey there, welcome back to Gen X Grown Up. I am John and I am a Gen X Grown Up. Thank you so much for the click. The guest I'm about to bring on needs no introduction for my audience. But I'm going to do an introduction because how many times in my life can I say I introduced this man to you? I'm talking about the author of so many classic Atari 2600 titles like Yars Revenge, E.T., Saboteur, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and also the author of Once Upon Atari, How I Made History, Killing an Industry, the one and only Howard Scott Warshaw. Howard, welcome to Gen X Grown Up. John, thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. When I let our viewers and followers know that I was going to have a chance to interview you, you graciously offered it up. You said, hey, would you like to look for a time? And I was very thankful for that. So I mentioned that on a video and I said, hey, if you have questions you'd like to me to try to fit in, there were a few questions that I've sprinkled in here. But by and large, the main thing people said was, there was an outpouring of love for you and your work and how much it has touched people over the years, especially people in our generation, Generation Xers, who grew up on your work. Uh, and I have said a couple of times that in no small way, you're kind of an architect of some of the best parts of my childhood because your work was directly connected to that. How does it feel to all these years later still have uh, a job that I know that you got a lot of satisfaction out of at the time to still be getting attaboys from that? Well, John, it means everything. It means everything to me. It really touches me very deeply to know. Uh, honestly, when I was making these games, one of the things that was foremost in my mind was I remember the angst and the the boredom and, and the difficult stuff that I went through as a teen. And I didn't like that at all. And I realized that if I had had video games when I was a teen, uh, it probably would have eased the eased the journey quite a bit. It would have made a big difference to me. And so while I was making these games, the idea that I'm easing that pain for other people, 
that I'm giving them a break from what may be a very unpleasant experience uh, at times, Mm -hmm. that was very important to me. That meant a lot. And to find, to hear that, that that's the case. Uh, that I did become a part of other people's journey, that I was was a positive part of their childhood. That's huge. That's still huge for me. Uh, one of the reasons, I mean, it took me a long time to get around to the idea of writing a book. And I mean, this is, I've written a number of books before, but people for mm-hmm. decades have been saying, Howard, when are you going to write the Atari book? When are you going to do the Atari book? People always wanted to hear about it. I wasn't ready. It wasn't really time. And I had to wait till I had really fully processed the experience and gotten through everything. And so, you know, there's my Once Upon Atari, how I made history oh, by yeah. killing an industry. And there's mine. Hey, there's one. <laughs> and the thing is <laughs> yep. that I think this book is actually a love letter to the video game industry and uh, to pioneering a new medium and to life-changing experience, because that's what Atari was for me. It was absolutely a life-changing experience. It's still reverberating in my life. I am still learning and growing from the lessons that I obtained at Atari. I'm still learning how to unravel them. It's uh, And that was a lot of work writing that book. I mean, that was a lot of work. I can imagine. A good yeah. friend of mine, another a guy who did 2600 Missile Command and Demon Attack, Rob Fulop. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine. And I told him I was going to write this book about Atari. And he goes, you know, he goes, writing a book is a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm sure it's a lot of work. Turns out it's a lot of work. It took me about four years <laughs> to write it. But I didn't want to let it go until I was really satisfied with what I had. And I think I got there. And So far, people seem to be really enjoying it. And that's just the idea that I can recall these experiences for people and bring back positive parts of their uh, their early years and their early experience, uh, it really does mean a lot to me. You know, we're just meeting and speaking for the first time, but having read your book, this is a stream of consciousness book, which I love about it. This is, this is like a peek inside HSW's mind for me, you know, it's full of puns. Oh, you can turn a pun. Oh, just delicious. You know, turn a phrase. You remind me of so many of my friends growing up. And so I guess it kind of makes sense. You know, the things you would create would resonate with people who have similar, similar sensibilities, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much in there that I read that makes me feel like, damn, I'm mad that I missed out on that. I wish I had worked at Atari during the heyday when you were. It was a great time to be there. Is there... It seemed to me what I was reading and learning is that certainly for during the, the good times at Atari, you were the golden boy. Like you got all the great, they pulled you in for the big projects and you were on huge projects and, you know, flying on the, on the jet and going to meet Spielberg and that kind of stuff. Was there a time when you pitched a game that just fell flat and never happened? Or was you just kind of go from good project to good project during your time there? I went pretty much from, well, I mean, my first game, Yars Revenge, was originally supposed to be Star Castle, so I didn't mm-hmm. pitch that one. What I did was threw it out. It was like, they, <laughs> they brought me in to do that game, and the first thing I told them was, that game's going to suck, and I don't want my first game to suck. So I it cre- mm-hmm. I created another, an alternate game. Uh, Raiders and E.T. Uh, was just a question of Spielberg wanting me to do it. Well, Raiders was a question of Spielberg wanting me to do it, and it, I talk in the book about the interview process that I had with Spielberg, which was kind of an amusing one the first time. Hmm. Uh, the second one, uh, Spielberg wanted me to do E.T., but the truth is 
no one else in the world was even going to bother to attempt to do ET. So the fact that I was even willing to try guaranteed me the spot yeah. <laughs> doing ET. And uh, yeah. I was so burnt out after finishing ET on top of Raiders uh, that it took me a while to really come back. But I, I didn't really pitch another game. I was at a place where I could just make a game. They said, Howard, just, you know, make a game, get us a game okay. and whatever it was, that would be okay. And Saboteur was the next game that I really got together, but it took a while to get to that. So when you finally left, you and Matari parted ways, uh, there, there was a crumbling going on at the time uh, and there was a lot of chaos happening. Uh, one of our viewers asked if I would check with you, did you, I think the statute of limitations is up. Did you pilfer any really good swag out of Atari that you still treasure today? I, mean, I think back to places I worked and I, I got the, they closed down and I got the door knocker or something. Anything from Atari that you really kind of kept as a keepsake or memento? I got to say, that's really a great question. Uh, the only thing I really took, and I'm not sure if it was even Atari's. I mean, I took a couple of point of purchase advertising mm -hmm. things. I took a can of Yars Revenge fly spray that they, <laughs> they did some marketing promo things. Those were kind of cool. I didn't really try to like pull a lot of stuff. I did. The thing I took home from Atari was one of the most incredible and remarkable experiences of my life. And that filled my box, you know, walking mm. out, of the, out of the company. It was the things that I took weren't really the objects. I still have an Atari mug that I got at Atari that used to sit on my desk there, mm -hmm. sits on my desk now. I always have just kept that with me. But the thing I took from Atari was just an incredible experience, just an unbelievable work experience, something that seems like it could never be equaled. Uh, and it would be ridiculous for anybody to try because it was just it was a product of of crazy times and outrageous circumstances. And it all happened to come together. And I was in the right place at the right time. And I happened to be the right person. You were lightning in the bottle and you were the lightning. Guys, for the last few weeks, we have been checking out Factors ready-made meals. Now, they tell us that eating better is easy with their delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, ready to go in two minutes. All that is great. It wouldn't matter if it didn't taste good. So, mm -hmm. I've, we've, I've had several. I've been eating them every couple of nights. I'll try one of these Factor meals. And then I had this turkey chili, and wow, was that good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my fiancé is vegetarian. Is vegan actually so i went with the, yes. with the vegetarian option oh okay mm -hmm. you did for the whole box okay yeah for the whole box you know because they have like over 35 different options you can choose from like every single week mm -hmm. so i went with the vegan option or the vegetarian option and let me tell you they were pretty freaking amazing yeah matter of okay. fact she yeah. stole half of them one to start with wow. she, she took so. them from you yeah yeah my <laughs> wife and i have been trading out saying oh you try this and you try this and check it out mm -hmm. <laughs> it was surprisingly good and again like i didn't realize that even that some of these that were even vegetarian i didn't even know that they didn't even know wow mm. so what's really cool though is that if you want to add something extra to all these different meal choices that mm -hmm. you're talking about, there's like 60 different add-ons to help you get going <laughs> and feel good basically all day long. And I don't mean mm -hmm. just like like an extra side or something like that. Like there's a whole bunch of breakfast add-on meals that you can add on to your subscription, not add on yeah. to the right, dinner yeah. meal, but like mm -hmm. to add to your meal plan for the day. And mm. I just think it's, it's really awesome that they give you all these different choices so that you're not just tied into just dinner or just lunch. Having breakfast mm -hmm. as part of one of these meal plans is 
I think kind of unique. I haven't seen that before in any of these meal yep. delivery services. So I don't know what everybody's waiting for. It's time to get started and get after <laughs> your goals right now. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Pancakes and smoothies? Yes, please. Discover a wide <laughs> variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping or cooking or even cleanup required. Just throw it in the trash when you're done. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Let me tell you, if you're looking for something fast with premium options, Factor is the perfect solution for you. You guys know I'm the spreadsheet guy. Yep. I have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every single meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Just head over to factormeals.com slash genx50 and use code genx50 to get 50% off. That's code genx50 at factormeals.com slash genx50 to get 50% off. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. You're a fly named Yar on a quest in space. You attack the shield of the Kotile space. But watch out, Yar. He knows where you are. Yar's revenge is you from Atari. Have you played Atari today? With ion zones and evil drones, there's nothing else like Yar's Revenge, the way out space game that's new from Atari. Who else? Have you played Atari today? The, the thing that got us initially talking was uh, that I'd heard rumor through some news source that, yeah, there's this Yar's Revenge recharge. Yeah, there's this Yar's Revenge reloaded. Yeah, there's this Yar's Revenge, blah, blah, blah. But... The original architect of the original Yar's Revenge, often lauded as the best and the game that holds up the, the, the best for everyone on the original VCS, is getting a real sequel by you. So I know you've said that's true. Before I ask you anything about it, I want to know what's it like to come back full circle with Atari after 40 some years doing a sequel to a game that you thought probably was in the rearview mirror forever? Full circle is an interesting concept to me. <laughs> Right. Because in some ways, the video game world has come full circle mm. in the sense that, you know, games started as one screen, you know, little time killers and they grew and grew and console games got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where, you know, one person could do a game when I was doing games. That was so quickly not the possible case, and it was just impossible. Mm. They got too big. They got huge. They got better. They got more engaging. They got more involved, but they got huge. Mm. And the idea of like a one-screen game, no one would buy a console, one-screen game for a console, you know, after mm. a little while. Right. But what happened was the advent of handheld uh, gaming platforms and things like that renewed the idea and apps particularly renewed the idea that a one or a very small number of people could actually put together a new game, an innovative game, a gameplay, a simple gameplay and put it out to the world. So in that sense, as, the, as it grew and grew and grew, it looped back. There was a part that looped back, back to the origin of the simple one screen play that just keeps you going and going and going. <laughs> and that, that was cool to see that happen. Uh, in a, in a similar way, I came full circle, right? Going from being a game maker to a therapist. Mm -hmm. Because as a game maker, 
I used to entertain nerds. And then I went on my journey for decades of doing all kinds of other things. And now as a therapist, I've come back and I do work with uh, people around games and gaming and game developers. And I think that I used to entertain nerds and now I actually make their lives better. So I've come full circle in that way. <laughs> the idea of coming full circle now with Atari mm -hmm. is really interesting because Atari kind of crashed and burned and became just a library of rights for many years. And now some people actually got together, you know, bought the Atari rights, created an Atari company, and they really want to reestablish Atari as a creative force. Mm. And so they came to me and we talked about it and... You know, for many years, people have said, hey, would you update E.T.? Would you redo E.T.? Would you do something like that? I don't want to redo E.T. I have no interest in redoing <laughs> E.T. But what I would like to do is participate in reestablishing Atari as a creative force. And so you have seen several. There, there's Yars, you know, Recharge, like mm -hmm. you said, Yars Reimagine, all these different Yars Re-something. Yep. The only Yars Re I was involved with was Yars Revenge. <laughs> okay. having made the game and putting that together. So, but I've had a, a design that I've been sitting on for many years that was a true Yars sequel. So you're seeing some of these other Yars spinoffs. I haven't been involved in mm -hmm. any of them. Right. But for the first time, I am going to get together with Atari and make a Yars Revenge sequel that's going to expand the story. You know, Yars Revenge was the first product that had a backstory. It was the first video game right. with a backstory and auxiliary product. I'm expanding on that story in a huge way. And there may be, uh, there's a thing that I've conceived called the Yarniverse, Ooh. Right? Ooh. which is the true full world. And you're going to see another piece of it in the sequel to Yars that should be coming up next year. And beyond that, there is a whole Yarniverse. There is a whole world that ties Yars Revenge, the sequel, saboteur the actual right? true story not the fake storyline that's out there already that i contributed to writing <laughs> but the uh the actual secret backstory behind saboteur and several other things that all congeal to create this huge world that explains what really is the relationship between yars and human beings, which is an interesting question to explore and all of that is the first step towards that big Yarniverse is going to be this next sequel that I'm currently developing with. I'm working with Digital Eclipse mm -hmm. as the developers, the people who did the Atari 50 product, right. which I notice you have a shirt dedicated I, to. I it. do. No question. And, uh, <laughs> and we're together, we're going to work and put this game together for Atari. And I think it's going to be uh, exciting. For people who like Yar's Revenge, if you enjoyed Yar's Revenge, this is going to be Yarrier. Than, than what you've ever experienced before. You, you kind of already touched on this. One thing I was going to ask you was, you know, we had some viewers saying, is Yars 2 going to be an arcade game where I'm seeking high scores? Or is it going to be more story driven like modern games? Or is it somewhere in between based on kind of where you come from and where you are now? Yars 2, I mean, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly story based. Okay. But Yars 2 is a, a two-person competitive game. Oh. This is not going to be a one-player how high is up. It'll have single-player modes. Single-player modes will be available. There'll be ways to practice, mm -hmm. play with it, grow with it. But the main way you play Yars 2 is against an opponent. 
Because I'll tell you this, that the basic concept of this sequel is, you know, Yars have to go fight co-tiles, mm-hmm. right? Right. And to do that, you have to have a skill set. You have to really practice and hone your skill set. And you have to w- have a way of finding out who are the great Yarian warriors. <sighs> you know, that's what it's going to be. And what this game is, is this is about a training ground for Yars. This is where Yars learn the skills they need to go and fight co-tiles. So... That's what this is about. And it's a training arena for Yars where you compete against other Yarian contenders to see who is going to be the Yarian champion. To go and fight the Kotal, ultimately. Exactly. Wow. So this is Yars Academy, right? This is where all the best of the best come to find out who actually has what it takes to go out and, and defend the planet. That's incredibly intuitive because that's actually the working title. <laughs> is it Yars Academy? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to ask you about a title. I wouldn't know if you would tell me, but the way you described it, that just felt naturally where you were going, you know? I'm glad it works that way. Yeah, yeah. I really am. <laughs> now, this next question, I have to ask carefully. I don't think you would spoil it. I know you wouldn't. I don't want to know how or when or where, but will Yars 2, a.k.a. Yars Academy, maybe, will it have any Easter eggs? Oh, it'll have a series of Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I have a style of Easter eggs that I put in my games. I mean, I'm pretty well known for Easter eggs in my game, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many people know my Easter egg algorithm, which is that I, for every game that I do, you're going to be able to find an HSW with a number. Mm. And that number is going to be the number of the game that I'm doing. So in this case, it'll be HSW5. Ooh. It has the characters of all my previous games. Mm-hmm. Right. So this game will have a yard. Well, there'll be yards all over the place, but there'll be a secret yard you can find somewhere. Uh, There should be an Indiana Jones character somewhere. Excellent. There should be an E.T. character somewhere. (laughs) There should be a Hotot, you know, the main character of Saboteur Saboteur somewhere. And there'll be at least one or two others. I mean, there's going to be a host of uh, Easter eggs to find and special signatures and secrets in there. That's part of what makes it an HSW production. One of the things I learned for the first time reading your book was uh, you'd mentioned, hey, Yars had this peripheral collateral material, had a comic book along with the instructions. And there was there was actually Easter egg clues hidden in the instructions. There's Easter eggs in the book about how to find the Easter egg. Is Yars 2 going to have a physical release? And if so, or if not, either way, is there any collateral material? Will we see a continuation of the comic book or anything like that? Do you have anything planned or can you tell me? Uh, That's not clear at this point. There will be more backstory. How we're going to develop that and how we're going to disseminate that is uh, yet to be uh, planned. But I I have, like I said, I've been working on the story of the Arniverse, the the story at large. And we will take we'll take a small portion of that larger story. And uh, definitely package it with the game in some form or another. Maybe even there'll be some storytelling elements in the middle of the game. No. Okay. How does it feel to come back to Yar's Revenge? I mean, maybe aside from E.T. for different reasons, but it's one of the games you're most well known for and one that kind of defines you. You know, I know uh, you use use Yar in your signature when you're signing off, right? So I know that you identify with it and it means a lot to you. What's it like coming back to this specific title? Oh, it means a lot. Hmm. It means a lot to me. It's Yar's was my baby, right? Yar's was the thing Mm -hmm. that I created from and different assignment, right? Mm-hmm. It was, Yars was always like the thing that emerged from, from nothing into something. 
it was my own uh, development coming from in my in my own life, sort of coming out of the darkness and into the light in terms of understanding what I want to be and what I need and what works for me, and uh, coming to a tremendous self understanding. So Yars to me is always going to be my favorite game. It's a deeply meaningful experience. It was then. And that was my introduction to Atari, the idea that it's also my re-entry to Atari in a way. Uh, there's a lot of poetry there. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's uh, it's deeply meaningful. And I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. You had mentioned sometime 2023. Can you give me any hint about any closer or is it just not that clear yet? You have a ballpark? Uh, it's going to be in, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in 2023. It'll definitely be one of 12 months. Outstanding. I can, that'll narrow it down for it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Can Indiana Jones escape from the forces of evil? Can he survive 13 fiendish situations? Will Indy make it all the way? Find out in Atari's Raiders of the Lost Ark adventure game. It's diabolically difficult. It's mysterious. It's never the same twice. And it's only from Atari. You'd mentioned about, you know, one of the things in your book about uh, how you move from careers, you had this amazing career in Atari that can never be replicated. You bounced around a bit. And then you and then you found a new calling in, in therapy uh, related to games somehow. How did you make that migration into therapy? Can you expand on that just a little? Well, therapy was something I always wanted to do. Mm. I always wanted to be a therapist. When I was in high school, a very good friend of mine and I, we, we used to talk about creating our own personality theory. We were both sort of into it. Now, what's funny is neither of us went into psychology directly. What happened was uh, ultimately he ended up marrying a therapist. And then like 30 years, 40 years later, I ended up becoming a therapist. But we both were interested in that from high school. And then as of the after high school, we both went in very different, incredibly different directions. Right. I went to uh, Hewlett Packard Mm -hmm. to do uh, systems programming. He went to the Air Force Academy and then got into uh, sales and things like that. We just went in radically different directions and neither of us anywhere near psychology for a long time. But it's always been a thing for me. It's always been something that's there. Now, so was programming. Right. A lot of people ask me, you know, How do you go from being a programmer to a therapist? It doesn't make a lot of sense to people. And when people say to me, I don't get it. How do you go from that to that? What I really hear them saying is, you know, programmers don't really have a lot of people skills. So what makes you think you're going to be able to be a therapist? You kind of need people skills for that. And that's true. But it's, uh, I was not a typical programmer, just like I'm not really a typical therapist. I, I do pretty much everything atypically. I think that just sort of, who I am. But to me, 
Programming and therapy are actually very similar. If you really think about it, programmers and therapists were all systems analysts, right? It's just that I've moved on to a much more sophisticated hardware in the human brain. That's the way I look at it. Do you find that you practice therapy like a programmer, like a developer? Are you are you looking for the bug that's causing the defect or you find that you're looking holistically? Do you approach it differently, you think, because of your origins? I think so, but it's, you know, there's the interesting question of do I approach therapy like an engineer or did I approach engineering like a therapist, mm, Okay, you know, which I kind of also did. But the way I look at it, I mean, I, I work with engineers and I'm able to use engineering metaphors with engineers in ways that most therapists can't. So that's kind of a, a thing I like to do. So I, and one way I look at doing therapy, there's a lot of different ways I look at doing therapy because I am the, the master of metaphors, <laughs> just all these different metaphors going on. Yeah. But one way I do look at it is I think that every person has their own operating system. Everyone has a unique OS. You know, in the world, there's like, there's iOS and there's Windows, you know, there's Linux and you've got Unix, you got all these different OSs, but there's, there's not like an incredible number of OSs. Mm -hmm. There's a basic you know, core of OSs and all these systems run one of those core OSs. The way I look at therapy is that every individual has a unique OS and I'm looking for the SDK. If I can find <laughs> the developer kit for that OS, if I can really understand the interface to their operating system, I can then help them achieve their programming goal in that system. Because what's going on is they have some sort of a program requirement and they're not sure how to implement it. They recognize that their current instruction set doesn't seem to accommodate what they're trying to do. That's when someone needs therapy. They realize there's something they're trying to achieve in their life that's not going the way they want it to, or they're not reaching a place they want to get to. So that's the same as an OS that, that's missing some routines, that's missing some call structure or missing some interface yeah. that can enable it to operate. So I, one way I look at it is, okay, I'm going to work with you and I'm going to try and reverse engineer your OS. And when I get there, I'm going to be able to use some system calls in an interesting and new way that's going to help you be able to approach your task in a new and hopefully more productive uh, way. How's that? You're hacking the code. You're, you're diving into the registry. You're getting into the back end. You're finding out what makes it tick. I, I get it. Well, an important differentiator about therapy, though, is that I'm not really working on them. What I'm doing is I'm trying to reveal the interface to them mm. because they're the ones that need to make the calls, right? So I don't go and fix a client, but what I do is I enable them to really understand their OS in a way maybe they haven't before. I, I try to be the manual that they can read uh -huh. so we can do basically an RTFM and they can heal themselves, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's, I, I just wanted to be clear about that. It's not, I'm not operating on them. Got it. I'm yep. helping them understand and hear themselves. And then they choose where they want to go and they're better able to do that. It's a perfect parallel. And you'd almost think that more engineers, if they had a, had a desire and aptitude, would work well in therapy because it is working on systems, like you said. One more thing that you mentioned about the book, which by the way, I mentioned before, it's it's a lot of fun to read. It's, it's a chance if 
not everybody gets a chance to sit and speak with Howard Scott Warshaw. If you want to feel like you got a chance to sit and speak with him, the book is great. You mentioned something to me before we started recording. You have some news about the book coming up that's pretty exciting, too. That's true. That's true. Actually, uh, I'm working on an Audible version that's going to be done very soon. And I'm reading it myself because mm. I didn't feel it was appropriate for anyone else to deliver this book. Uh, a memoir, when I, I listen to books myself, I, I tend to go for walks and I listen to books while I walk. Mm. I don't read that often, but I listen a lot. And so I'm sympathetic. And I know when I'm, I like to listen to memoirs. I like to listen to memoirs of other people. And when it's not read by the author, mm -hmm. it bugs me. Because <laughs> I think, what is it? I want to, I, I know I'm going to get more out of a memoir if I'm hearing it from the person whose experience is being discussed. And I wanted to make sure I put that through. That and also, as you pointed out earlier, I like to play with language a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I like to try and make it as interesting. So I want the experience of hearing the words to be just as interesting as the words and the concepts themselves. I don't know if I always achieve it, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely striving for it. And so... I would not trust, because I tweak and play with language and pacing and timing as much as I do, I wouldn't necessarily trust someone else to be able to pick that up unless I was sitting there running through it with them step by step all the way. And then if I'm going to do that, I might as well just read it myself. So there you go. I am reading it myself. <laughs> and so we're going to get it in Howard Scott Warshaw's dulcet tones. I'm I'm on board. I'm a buyer. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you. I'm a seller. We should get together. <laughs> that's, a, that's a match made in heaven. That's going to work wonderfully. Howard, I want to thank you again so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about this. We're all very excited about Yars 2. I'm excited about the audiobook coming and the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, it, I can't let you go without getting a Yars Truly. I know that is your signature sign off when you're talking to someone. So if there's anything else you would like to say to my audience before you go, I'm just going to give you the floor. What I would say is, dear John... And John Etz, I would like to say that it has been a pleasure to be able to share with you and talk with you. I hope you've enjoyed hearing this as much as I've enjoyed putting it out. It really has been great to be here. Uh, it's great to let you know that if you want an autographed copy of the book or my Once Upon Atari DVD, you can go to onceuponatari.com and you can order it there. Uh, or you can find the book on Amazon. Soon you'll be able to find the book on Audible. And it's just, I so appreciate the opportunity to be here, John. I've always respected your work. Thank you. And so I would respect your audience as well, because if they're listening to you, I know they're discriminating shoppers <laughs> in their audio. And that's what I'm looking for. So I just want to sign off with a lot of gratitude, a lot of appreciation. Yars truly, Howard Scott Warshaw. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Coming up on 5 Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.